Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How are you doing today, Adam? I think, you know, if we were passing each other by the water cooler, uh-huh. I would say uh, it's it's one of those days, Ben. And then I would just not even break stride. I would just keep walking. <laughs> and I'd, I'd be like, did you see Seinfeld last night? <laughs> <laughs> Is it like this in your city in that the syndicated Seinfelds they show are basically only one of the 16 that the local network has bought? Yeah, like, it seems like there's a very limited uh, limited number that they run in, in syndication for some reason. I don't know. I feel I, like we're, we're we getting stinky car like twice a week now. <laughs> we don't receive any broadcast channels where I live at all. Don't you have one of those antennas? It doesn't make any sense. Like, we have one of those antennas. Like, there's a hill on one side of our our house, but it's not occluding, like, where broadcasts would be coming from. Doesn't those are make the any Beverly sense. Hills, right? That's what you're referring to? <laughs> no. Black gold. <laughs> Texas tea. Adam, uh, it sounds like you're having a bit of a day, and one of the ways I like to unwind... At the end of a long, annoying day, is by <laughs> blowing up people's spots and defeating them in contests. Should we go to war with each other? Oh, that sounds great. I think war would make me feel better, right? Uh, almost Calgon anything. Calgon war, take me away. <laughs> We're at war. There's been no formal declaration of war. Maybe this trick will bring us some luck. That nonsense is centuries behind us. War! Go to war! Do you want to uh, do you want to do mirror mirror versus mirror mirror war? Yeah, that's very appealing to me. <laughs> we'll have we'll have mirror mirror war war. Yeah. So uh, just to be clear, these cards are the expansion set for the Star Trek customizable card game, and uh, like a lot of the cards we open on the show, there are occasionally rare cards and like collector cards that include like pieces of uniform or holograms or whatever so we're always on the lookout for those is that going to happen in customizable card game yeah i'm reading the back of the package it says uh it's all part of the fun shit dog you never know what you're going to get in these packs we usually play best out of five but i mean this is war and and sometimes things don't go according to plan yeah i i don't take a dump without a plan Mm. i'm ready to flip me too. Three, two, one. I'm a a rebel interceptor. It's a uh, fighter used by Terran rebels in their in the mirror universe, typically stolen from the Bajorans. Smiley enhanced and commanded this one. <laughs> that's Chief O'Brien, right? Yeah, that's Smiley. Smiley O'Brien. It's got a range of six plus X. Weapons of eight. And shields of six. My card does not have any measurables, Ben, because uh, it is probably impossible to measure. I have the Bajoran wormhole itself. Whoa! Pretty big butthole here. <laughs> uh, you can, uh, I mean, this is, all of the verbiage here is, is having to do with the game. 
the stuff I don't understand. Do you think that the Dominion are just total peaches in the uh, in the mirror universe? Just real sweet, sweet, sweet people. They're just flying around the galaxy drinking milkshakes. That's all they're doing. <laughs> they put the gem in Jem Hadar. Sure do. What do you think, Ben? Um, tough call. Your thing goes inside my thing. Yeah. So, so what's the? Where's the power in that? I mean, also, I feel like your thing could destroy, right? Because it's got a, uh, it's got sure. prophet aliens in it. You get off the off the rails in that thing, you're gonna hit a wall and explode. You could shoot a handful of torpedoes out of mine at yours, though. It's true. It would only take a few yeah. to destroy it. <laughs> I don't know. You want to call that a draw? Yeah, I think I think that's fair. All right. Flip the next one over. Three, two, one. Ben, I have Tivor. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a Klingon science officer. Uh, he works for the Klingon Cardassian Alliance. Huh. He's assigned to Terok Noir. He finds the station rife with gossip, backstabbing, and treachery. But he likes it that way. <laughs> That's his, he's sort uh, of a uh, Klingon Vanderpump, isn't he? <laughs> he's I got think- an integrity of five, a cunning of seven, and a strength of seven. There's Tivor. This is another interesting matchup. My card is for an agonizer, the pain-inflicting device developed by the Terran Empire. Fear of punishment drives crew members to maintain maximum efficiency at all times, ensures alertness, loyalty, and obedience. You and I both know, Ben, that the agonizer booth trumps T4. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the this is the agonizer that's, like, belt-mounted. Oh. But, uh, but yeah, anybody would, uh, would take that over T4 if they wanted one to, to win a fight with, right? The convenience of taking agony on the go. That's what you want. <laughs> The Agonizer Walkman. Now uh, the Agonizer Tivor. is wireless. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go to uh let's go to our next card. Alright. Three, two, one. I have a uh, character named Gant. He's <laughs> a medical character, typical member of the Shikar resistance cell. Cared for the mortally wounded Kira Taban, now a part of Kira Narisa's memories of her father's death. Integrity of six, cunning of six, strength of seven. And this uh, this dude is pretty handsome looking. He's oh, yeah? kind of like a Bajoran Patrick Bateman thing going on. Is he wearing Gant brand clothing? Uh, well, there's two T's at the end of this particular Gant. Oh, sure. So they don't run afoul of, yeah. of copyright? He might be wearing Gant brand clothing. I can't see if there's a, uh, a button on the back of his collar or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of their signature uh, signature elements of the Gant Rugger <laughs> line of line of products. <laughs> oh, I think uh, I think you might have me beat, Ben. I have I have Aramax. Aramax is a Cardassian medical representative in the Mirror Universe. He strives to be noticed <laughs> without raising the ire of Security Chief Garrick, but he has done neither thus far. I see those hype beasts lined up around the corner for Aramax sometimes. Right? When the uh, Foot Locker gets a new shipment in. <laughs> <laughs> such a such a sneakerhead. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> All right, I think it's uh, I think it's two two to nothing. You. Yeah, this is not doing anything to help your bad day. 
my mood has vastly improved since starting the game. Let's uh, flip over a fourth card. Okay. Three, two, one. Ben, I've got Talak. He is a uh, Klingon security man. He has served for four years as a bodyguard in the House of Duras. He took a position aboard Teraknor to escape the unpredictable demands of Lursa and Bator. Well, I mean, I'm glad they mentioned that it was the Mirror Universe, Ben, because I don't think that's changed. Yeah. They're uh, unpredictable in both universi. Are they like chaotic evil in one and chaotic good in the other or something like that? As long as windowpane decolletage <laughs> remains constant. It's all that matters to me. What do you got? I got a, uh, a D7 class Klingon battlecruiser. Uh, from the picture, this looks to be an original series model. It says Klingon Battlecruiser cir- Cruiser circa 2267. Some were provided to the Romulan Star Empire in exchange for cloaking technology. Uh, it's got a range of six, weapons five, and shields of five. Kind of a weak sauce ship. Oh, what a what a pile of garbage. Yeah, a real hoopty. <laughs> Something that John Roderick would get for free and then drive around until it broke down <laughs> on the side of the road. <laughs> and then he would just walk away from it because there would be an, it would be impossible to connect him to it. Yeah. I don't know, Adam. I think anybody that works that closely with Lursa and Bator and also has the good sense to get away from them probably could kick the ass of this ship. Pretty smart. I mean, he has a strength of nine. That's stronger than that ship, huh? <laughs> yeah. No, no kidding. I mean, it, it, in uh, in Cardboard, I think it, it really comes down to the strength number. Yeah. He could punch that, that ship and break it in half. Like a karate man uh, <laughs> chopping through blocks of ice. Uh-huh. Uh, Adam, do you want to flip over a fifth card? Yeah, where, where are we at? You have two, I have one, and there's one tie. Yeah. Okay. Right. Three, two, one. Stolen cloaking device. Regent Worf detained Zek in the Mirror Universe, demanding a cloaking device as ransom. To save their Nagus, Quark and Rom stole one from a Klingon ship. General Martok was not pleased. <laughs> it's just a uh, kind of a a beepity boopity object sitting on a on a lit up panel. No no evidence of a dongle or not a dongle. The thing in my card could not fit on a tabletop, Ben, because I have a Galore class starship. Whoa. This is a typical Cardassian warship in the Mirror Universe of a Type 3 designation. And it's part of the Klingon Cardassian Alliance fleet, so you know it's good, right? Those are some of the best Cardassian cruisers. We've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again. Little weird the Cardassians have ships in the shape of their symbol. Yeah. That's what this is. What if the Borg's ships were like that hand symbol? <laughs> oh no, another Borg hand dropping out of warp speed. Target phasers on the uh, the phalanges. <laughs> Tell Admiral Hansen to talk to the hand. <laughs> The fight does not go well, Picard. <laughs> We're getting the shit slapped out of us out here. <laughs> right. We are so dumb. Yeah, I think we've got an even game here. I think we need a tiebreaker card. Okay, this is the one for all the marbles. Three, two, one. And uh, the card that I have flipped is Mr. Quark. Mr. Quark. Yeah, uh, you might be familiar with him. Please, he's a, bar- 
Quark was my father. Call me the Reverend Dr. Quark. <laughs> He's the bartender who pretends to work for the Alliance. Quark secretly helps Terran slaves escape from Terok Noor. He's a... Uh, He's the Harriet Quarkman of DS9. My card uh, is a dilemma. Much like the dilemma of including my weird Quark Harriet Tubman portmanteau in this episode. Yeah, will will we leave that in the episode or not? Who knows? (laughs) I mean, it's not like there's anything we can do to stop the tide of concern trolls that show up in our menchies every day. Yeah, that that are that are dumped into our frozen yogurt <laughs> as toppings. <laughs> Got to pick those gummy bears out. <laughs> uh, this dilemma is Kelvan show of force. Aliens from the Andromeda Galaxy demonstrated their power to Captain Kirk by distilling two crew members to their chemical components. Crushing a container instantly killed the victim. Oh. What was this called? Kelvan show of force, and it's a, a, uh, it's like a, a guy in one hand holding like kind of a, a dodecahedron that looks like it was made out of pumice, maybe. And oh. in the other hand, perhaps the crushed remains of a similar object, and there's like sand pouring out of it. So after he's killed these people, he can go uh, pumice his corns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wants to exfoliate, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he picked this up at Bath and Body Works on his way to the uh, Milky Way galaxy from Andromeda. Well, I doff my mirror universe cap to you. I think I think that one's going to be a winner. You think that's a winner? I think that beats Quark, TBH. That is mighty charitable of you, you sir. Get, you get Quark inside one of those dodecahedrons or whatever, uh, <laughs> he's going to get crushed like anyone else. He's going to... He would be sold to the highest bidder if he was in one of those dodecahedrons. He's going to be a puck when he's dead, and uh, this seems like a contraption that could that could puckify him. Do you think that when the, they're reading funeral rites at a Ferengi funeral, somebody says ashes to ashes, pucks to pucks? <laughs> That was a really great moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of uh, that's kind of insightful question yeah. you can expect me to ask here on the Greatest Generation Deep Space. At Nine. every Ferengi eulogy, someone has to mention the great Wayne Gretzky quote: of, uh, <laughs> "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take." <laughs> uh. Good win, Ben. I feel great, uh, especially to gloat over. Over you. You think our luck gets much better as we uh, as we pivot in the episode today? I think it might, Adam. You want to talk about this one? Yeah, let's talk it out. I think we have to. We have to talk about Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 11, Past Tense, Part 1. It's a pun on the word tense, because it's so tense. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. I don't know when this became policy, but uh, I prefer my cliffhangers not to be telegraphed with a part one appendage to the title. Yeah. Why don't you give me some dun-dun-duns at the end? Yeah, surprise me with it. Yeah, the Defiant has rolled up on Earth uh, for for some conferencing. And, yeah. uh, and they're talking about all of the all the relatives that might be there and the ways in which Earth is disappointing on a watercolor level. Yeah, 
It's one of those things, guys. Like, you don't go over to somebody's house and tell them you don't like their rug or whatever. If you ask me, the seas could be a little more purple. It's as if the Federation are a blue bodies of water only club. <laughs> I, just, I just think Kira and Dax are real assholes not to bite their tongues about this. You know who, who low-key flies a lineup in here uh, under the glove? is O'Brien saying that he based an entire career out of hating the formality of, like, fancy dinners. He's like, Thanks, but no thanks. That's why I stayed an enlisted man. They don't expect me to show up for these formal dinners. Cool way to turn your career into a cul-de-sac, O'Brien. Like, nice one. Like, uh, he he goes real class warrior on them. Yeah. In a way that is like pretty outside of what we normally see in Trek. Like nobody is ever like lording their lack of responsibility over anybody <laughs> typically. Maybe he went too far when he was on the Enterprise and that was why Thomas Riker tore into him on the Defiant in the last episode. <laughs> like I know your feelings on officers versus enlisted men, O'Brien. There's nothing to say to you, O'Brien. I think you know why. Well, this is an episode of Deep Space Nine, so we have to have Quark appear in it uh, because yeah. he is in the main cast. And, you know, we can't just let Armin Shimmerman take a fucking break from having all that loaf on him. Yeah. Uh, enjoy your eight hours of makeup for your three minutes of screen time. It's really three minutes cut in half because, you know, half the time they're cutting back from the view screen to, to Cisco. Do you think he reads a script and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? There's like a half a page of dialogue here. Why? <laughs> Can it just be a voice call? The crew have, have showed up at Earth to kind of brief the, the brass on the, on the uh, Dominion situation. <laughs> and uh, Quark is uh, doing the Nagus a favor. The Nagus, uh, of course, played a little bit of a part in keeping the Dominion thing down to a, a low simmer and uh, is now calling that favor in because a, uh, a family member of his has been arrested and Quark uh, is for some reason the message boy. I do owe him a favor. He thinks so too. Yeah, if you're going to be at City Hall anyway, why don't you go across the hall and uh, and see if you can't fix this? Yeah. Quark uh, makes a reference to Devrin 3 in his comments. Uh-huh. Which is familiar, Ben. That's the area of space where the the time butthole appeared in the last episode of TNG. Remember that? The Devrin system? Oh, really? Yeah. I remember that. So I guess uh, no damage done over there. Yeah. Devrin 3. Doing great. The fun, like, button on this scene is uh, is Cisco quoting chapter and verse of uh, the rules of acquisition to Quark. So, uh... Apparently, he he now has the, the rules of acquisition memorized, and uh, this really stuns Quark. Fun little Quark eyes to camera. And then we are into the process of beaming down to Earth. You get to see the Defiance uh, transporter room, I think, for the first time. It's a real tiny one. It's the size of a barrel with suspenders on it. It's really... <laughs> Not much there. It seems like uh, Chief O'Brien might be a little rusty on work in the transporter. But according to our sensors, they never materialize at their destination. They're just gone. All me, Mr. Butterfingers. Got a little loose with the annular confinement, wouldn't you say? You gotta confine that annular. <laughs> Annual. Is it angular confinement or annular confinement? Angular, or... Well, how about that? Annular... 
It's a synonym for ring-shaped. <laughs> I think we could have guessed that. If you get like a like a, a like an insect bite, you might have an annular patch on your arm. Sure. Or if you like doing it annular. <laughs> yeah, so uh could potentially be a problem because they lost track of them. Like there's no corresponding appearance by the away team down on Earth. We cut right away to where Cisco and Bashir have ended up. I mean it appears that they arrived somewhere. Yeah. And it and that place is San Francisco, but it's not the San Francisco that uh that they're familiar with. They are uh they're in the tenderloin. They're in, or, or close by. Yeah, and they're uh, they're getting kind of harassed by a couple of uh, a couple of guards who are wielding the kinds of shotguns that uh, that Muldoon tried to fight <laughs> Velociraptors with in, in Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of look like fascist Ghostbusters. <laughs> and Ben, it's one of the great that guys. Uh, it's Dick Miller. Yeah. I love Dick Miller. Yeah, he was the. Uh, he, he, we talk a lot about Dick Miller in our uh, our donors only episode on the film Gremlins. Yeah, he's, he's one of the greats. He's the uh, he's the super super jingoistic tractor driver guy. <laughs> you gotta watch out for the foreigners because they plant gremlins in their machinery. I imagine, like, because TV shoots on such a compressed schedule, they probably just gave him the direction. Act like that guy you were in Gremlins. Like, <laughs> that's your motivation. All right, that guy you were in Gremlins, but he has the gun that Muldoon <laughs> tries to fight velociraptors with in Jurassic Park. Dick Miller's like, say no more. <laughs> Got it. That guy's I love a, pro. a director that really knows how to talk to me. Yeah, yeah. He's not giving me line reads. He's just, you know, he's telling me my motivation and letting me explore the character. <laughs> He respects me as an artist, and he knows my work. <laughs> Bashir and Cisco uh, are there without their comm badges. Yeah, every bit of metal has disappeared off their uniforms in a way that uh, does not exactly go explained initially. But uh, we don't really have much time because they're getting hassled for their papers, please. And uh, yeah. they don't have papers. So uh, so off they go with the authorities and... Uh, the the thing they were leaning against looks to me like a uh, like a subway entrance, and mm-hmm. so uh, the camera kind of pans down into into the underground, and we find that Dax uh, materialized right next to them, but like a floor down, and she is still unconscious, having not been uh, roused by the barrel of a shotgun. Uh, this is the first of several scenes where we see how things are displayed. In this time period, this is the year 2024, and did you see that all of the fonts are the Apple font from the original Macintosh computer? Yeah, and like um, they used it on the original iPod, too. Yeah, so it was all very familiar in that way, in a, in a fun kind of way. Yeah, they did quite a bit more graphic design to like build this world than... Yeah. Star Trek has traditionally done like that sign you're referencing is the subway tunnel and they've got like subway lines that are you know don't necessarily correspond to BART the <laughs> existing medium range uh train that operates in San Francisco so I think it's a really uh a really nice efficient way to give dimensionality to this version of the future. Yeah, I wish we saw that train. It would be great if it was the same BART 
train that but we just know like today. Super rundown. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think we both said the same thing. Golden so, uh, a good Samaritan finds Dax at the bottom of the stairwell. She and not is... just good, but handsome as well. <laughs> yeah, he's got real David Bowie vibes, doesn't he? Yeah, and uh, and we'll come to find not just good and handsome, but also rich. <laughs> the trifecta. You usually have to pick two. I love how he doesn't notice her spots until like 20 minutes later where really that should be the first thing that he sees. Yeah. Instead, he just notices her manner of dress. Yeah. And he's like, uh, well, why don't you come with me? You can, uh, you can use the computer in my office to, uh, to get some ID because if you don't have ID, it's, it's your fucking ass in this time and place. She's also just like way quicker on the uptake than Cisco and Bashir. Yeah. Like Cisco and Bashir, while they have shotguns pointed in their nose, are like, "This is strange," and <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, I must have misplaced my papers." Thank you, kind sir. Eight lifetimes of street smarts is what this equals. Totally. You know, they don't mention that that's a part of her deal. They just let her act as if. I did get a little creeped out by a choice that this actor made when they leave the subway station, which is that he grabs her forearm very firmly and mm. walks her to his office. Like, it made me think that they were telegraphing something like horrible was about to happen to her, you know? I sure felt that way. I mean, he is Chris Brenner. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> the Chris Brenner? Holy shit. <laughs> He's like the Bill Gates of Brenner Information Systems. <laughs> uh, when does Brenner Information Systems become self-aware and begin judgment day <laughs> is my question. Oh, man, I'm going to Jackie and Laura you an amazing photo of... Uh, of Jim Metzler, the actor who played Chris Brenner. Please do. Present day, Jim Metzler <laughs> is uh, is a, has a real fun look at him. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> wow. He did you just send me a picture of Robert Plant? <laughs> <laughs> His long long locks, Adam. Wow. He looks like a friend of the kind kind. <laughs> yeah, he does. He may be sitting in front of a marijuana plant in this picture. <laughs> they found him in Berkeley. They left him in Berkeley. <laughs> this guy uh, tries to make the case, like, once he gets Dax back into his apartment, he's like, oh, yeah, those spots. I, too, was a man with a tattoo once, and then goes on to describe a Maori full-sleeve arm tattoo he used to have. This is the 90s dunking on the 90s. In the, yeah. like, this, is, this is another technology that, that Star Trek figured out before the rest of us, was we're going to look back on the 90s and really make fun of every white dude that had a tribal tat. <laughs> The uh, the script was written by Robert Hewitt Wolf, and I imagine like Robert Hewitt Wolf has a son named Scott who just recently <laughs> got this tattoo, and he is like turning to the screen and making fun of that life choice. You'll never get a square job, Scott. <laughs> you you give the Hewitt Wolfs a bad name. <laughs> uh, so back on the D, uh, 
O'Brien and Kira are puzzling through this transporter problem, and they're saying that Starfleet is saying like you didn't do you didn't beam anybody anywhere, and uh, they kind of hit on the idea that the cloaking device and the and the Defiant may have had something to do it do with it because the hull is impregnated with something called chroniton particles. Yeah, uh, those are the particles from Star Trek: First Contact. And like that is is a line basically read by by Jonathan Frakes in that scene that we uh, we dunked on quite a bit during uh, during our live show tour about first contact. Like they bring the viewer up to speed with time travel using three lines of dialogue. Yeah, sensors show chronometric particles emanating from the sphere, They're creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. I don't know whether this is a good character moment or a bad character moment for Kira and O'Brien in saying that neither of them display any kind of grief. I mean, the scene is not pregnant with stress in the way that, oh my God, I beam these people away and now they're gone. <gasps> kind of should. It could on the one hand speak to their like sober professionalism that you'd want in this moment, but also like I think it's okay to be extremely freaked out by this. Yeah, I think this is uh, O'Brien having a little bit too much enterprise privilege that is going unchecked. Uh-huh. Like, anytime something like this happens on the Enterprise, it is like a snap your fingers and solve the problem situation, because you got Geordi yeah. LaForge there to help you puzzle through it. Where's your Geordi now, <laughs> smiley? <laughs> what we get for the rest of the episode are three storylines. We've got the mystery on the D, we've got the story as it's unfolding for Cisco and Bashir, and we've got what Dax is going through, and they are all very different Tonally. Yeah. Bashir and Cisco are in a heap of shit and what they are being taken to by these by these gendarmes is uh I think meant to be modeled off kind of like a Warsaw ghetto type of idea. It's a walled in part of San Francisco that is called the Sanctuary Zone that is, you know, tenement buildings and, you know, throngs of people and uh you know food rationing and they're kind of being checked in because their identities can't be verified and therefore the uh the police just assume them to not be able to get gainful employment and be active members of society and uh this is uh this is an idea that's arisen a couple of times throughout history the last person i heard advocate for it was john roderick when he told me about his <laughs> ziggurat homelessness plan sure <laughs> <laughs> um, that was not something he campaigned on directly yeah yeah that was uh th the other shoe was gonna drop when he seized power <laughs> sure but yeah they get they get shown through like an armored door and into kind of a dmv like environment where they're given numbers and and scanned in and and told to wait it's a real shithole it's like burn barrel level shithole happening in here it's a heady mix of poverty and mental illness and and anger. It's like squalor and garbage in a way that uh, is like every underpass of the 101 freeway near my house. The Dick Miller character is growing increasingly frustrated by Bashir and Cisco's lack of understanding and how things work. Now sit down, shut up, and fill out the forms. If you got any problems, 
Don't come to me with them. And so that's going to be a going conflict throughout their storyline as they're being processed. Back on the ship, O'Brien has figured out that uh, some piece of microscopic singularity passed through the transporter at just the right moment. And it's not that Bashir, Sisko, and Dax were sent to some different place, but that they were sent to some different time. And that time is probably centuries different from their current time. So that's a relief, right? Mm -hmm. It seems like they've got something to go on, like they're going to potentially have a way to work back through the system and figure out where they went, but they might not be able to be accurate. And so the the plan that they kind of come up with as a group, him and Odo and Kira, is I'll pick like five likely time periods and send people back with tricorders and see if we can find them. I love this plan. I wish we got a whole season of this search, like bottle episodes for every time period. That would be great. The most expensive season of Star Trek ever. <laughs> They're just uh, constantly doing that thing from first contact or they head to the transporter room and say, computer, appropriate garments for 21st century. So great. What are you doing? So it turns out Cisco is actually kind of a nerd of this time period. Yeah. Which is very helpful because he can kind of commander splain everything to the outsider Bashir who is there to be us, totally ignorant of this time period. And the idea is that they're butting up a against a watershed moment in world history. They are they are in San Francisco a couple days before the beginning of what are referred to as the Nachos Bell Riots, a delicious uh, mixture of tortilla (laughs) chips, queso, uh, carne asada, and, uh, you know, sour cream, guacamole, and salsa. Delicious. When that tenderloin Taco Bell ran out of refried beans that day, (laughs) all hell broke loose. (laughs) No, but the, the, the idea of these brutally enforced ghettos being... Something that polite society tolerates because they kind of sweep a a social problem under the rug uh, is about to boil over, and like the the poor people in San Francisco are going to are going to riot and rise up, and uh, the actions of uh, somebody named Gabriel Bell, who heroically makes sure that the that the riots do not result in the wanton deaths of any of the of the guards or staff of this of this ghetto uh will inspire political change and people will will reject the sanctuary zones as a as a solution to a problem and in fact like humanity will start to kind of like get on the path of the post-scarcity future that the people in the federation enjoy i love what this episode does with this setup because you're thinking Oh man, I can't wait to meet Gabriel Bell. This guy sounds amazing. Yeah. But the the foreshadowing of this with all of this front loading of his biography is that like, oh, well if we're finding all of this out about Gabriel Bell right now, uh what are the chances that he will be showing up on the scene to have the opportunity to like tell his own story? Right. Probably not that good, right? <laughs> Yeah, so they also start peppering in the idea of there there being concern over like contaminating the timeline. Like they know things about 
uh, history and and could potentially rewrite it by you know accidentally intervening and like that's down to like the doctor wants to like help a, a suffering kid that they find in a hallway but the commander is not sure that even that is acceptable because if he like saves a life what if that life he saves turns out to have a major historical impact it's like the ashton kutcher movie butterfly effect whoa <laughs> it's exactly like that there's a fair amount of teaching the viewer in this app and one of the conduits for that is the social worker that gives us and bashir and cisco the lowdown on how these sanctuary cities work. Yeah, and, and she's uh, kind of like that, she's in that weird position of being a bureaucrat that is employed by and therefore sort of complicit in the Sanctuary Zone program, but yeah. also doesn't love it and doesn't necessarily approve of the of the logic of it. She's clearly not evil. She clearly has feels a lot of compassion for these people and everyone else, but like she's in a system that she can't change. I hate it, but that's the way it is. The economic pressures on a character like this are such that if, you know, if she doesn't have a job, then she is in the thing that she disapproves of. So it's uh, one of those horrible catch-22s that some people find themselves in where, like, just to keep their head above water, they have to kind of compromise on their own values. She's not such a good person that she doesn't use the slang of the time yeah. against uh, gimmies, which are people looking for jobs in a place to live, or dims, which is the term of art for the mentally ill. I try not to use them, but it's a bad habit. Not a great look by the social worker yeah. in, her, uh, in her use of these terms. She drops a lot of G-bombs, a lot of D-bombs. <laughs> I feel, I mean, you should probably cut those out, Ben. <laughs> I, I don't want the concern trolls coming out for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, uh, I wanted to say I love the show. I've listened to every episode, but your use of the term dim is incredibly problematic. <laughs> My friend is dim, and uh, there's nothing he can do about that. And <laughs> she also, you know, warns them about another category of sanctuary dwellers, ghosts, who are uh, basically just you know, opportunists who beat people up and take their food ration cards. And uh, she seems to have, like, despite being, you know, right up against it physically, a pretty naive understanding of how the sanctuary zone works. Because she says, like, you know, there's plenty of buildings, so you should have no problem finding a place to sleep. And uh, that is not, in fact, true at all. <laughs> they get in there and every building has a tough dude standing on the stoop you know, yeah. threatening people away from it. She's the customer service operator who's like reading from the script with how to fix a certain tech problem. Speaking of uh, tech problems, Dax has been trying to raise uh, Cisco and Bashir on their communicators uh, whenever she's had some alone moments uh, from uh, Bill Gates or what, whatever his name is. You mean Chris Brenner from Brenner Information Systems? <laughs> You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not able to, to reach them, obviously. He's been looking into, like, where they might be. Like, they're looking at hosp uh, hospitals and 
trauma centers and stuff like that. But uh, he puts her up in a hotel room for a few nights and he says like, hey, uh, there's only one set for like my life in this episode, this office. So I'm having a party in it later. Do you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, cool. Yeah, I'll come back to this one set. How they use resources in this episode is a bit of a question mark for me because in Time's Arrow, they did such a great job with giving Data even the smallest amount of backstory with like how he would be able to get clothes or a hotel room or whatever, like with that poker game. But you get the idea that Chris Brenner of Brenner Information Systems is wealthy enough to, you know, comp her a hotel room for a couple of nights. Right. But like her clothing and her everything she gets later, we don't know how she gets. I wanted the montage where he's sitting on the on the round couch thing and then she comes out in a bunch of different outfits and he like shakes his head at the first five or six. <laughs> Right. Then she comes out in a uh, mini skirt, tights, and a you know high waisted jacket, and uh, he uh, he nods his he- head and like gives her the finger guns, and they go to the party. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, we know uh... we know how Cisco and Bashir get their ordinary clothes. They uh, they trade those uh, those stoop tufts for them. They're like, hey, we want to get up on the roof of this building and. They're like, well, you don't have anything to trade. And they're like, all right, I guess we'll go look somewhere else. And then they're like, wait a minute. And then it's just smash cut to Bashir and Cisco putting, like, wearing the clothes of those guys. That's another scene I would have wanted to see, like, them getting out of their of their jumpsuits and, like, handing them through the curtain to, to the stoop, stoop tufts and then having the, the jackets and stuff passed back to them. We're told that they look like clowns. People use that word specifically. Yeah. I have a hard time imagining there's any value to their uniforms at all. So why would they want to be traded for? Here's the thing, Adam. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes when you're in a dangerous place, you know, like if you're a kid red in the New York City subway in the 80s and you're wearing a polo jacket and really nice Nikes, like it's sort of sending a statement like I, I can have and defend this polo jacket and Nikes, you know. Because uh, a lot of kids are getting jacked for their Nikes on these trains. I love how much Bashir is embracing the look of the time because not only did he change clothes, but he's like tussled his hair and grown a sudden five o'clock shadow. <laughs> Do you think he can just kind of like go like, and it just pops out? I mean, if that were a thing, it would have worked for me by now. Like Homer shaving his uh, yeah <laughs> his five his o'clock bl- shadow and it just like pops back the, yeah. second, the second he finishes. Bashir fits right in here, post-costume change. Yeah, it looks great. I talked about this a bit before. They meet in this building, The uh, this dude who's like trying to organize kind of an anti-sanctuary zone rally from from within the sanctuary zone. He's uh, worried about his kid because his kid got beat up, but he's, uh, he's looking to like do a positive, non-violent version of, uh, of the Bell Riots. Like he's, uh, he's an organizer. And um, he seems like pretty righteous, so he's he's looking to put this together, and he's basically saying like, go around and like tell everybody you meet that we're gonna we're gonna get together and do like a peaceful protest outside of the processing center. Tell people when they come to the rally to bring their families, their kids. Wear your best clothes. 
Speaking of groovy things where people are wearing their best clothes, let's go to this party. It's a real who's who. I mean, to get invited to a party in the office of Chris Brenner of Brenner Information Systems. <laughs> that Chris Brenner. <laughs> I love how, how Dax's updo is like a three-hour project. <laughs> like, I, I question the resources she's put into finding Bashir and Cisco after seeing <laughs> after seeing her hairstyle for the party. She's like choked out some exotic bird and included that in the in the look. I mean, I was looking up possible places for Cisco and Bashir to be, but then I went down this weird YouTube rabbit hole of of like modern hairstyles. <laughs> in kind of just like shooting the old breeze with Chris and a couple of his high society friends, uh she finds out that a possibility is that her crewmates have been put in the sanctuary zone. That's something that Chris Brenner of Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. Thought to bring up to her as a possibility. It's a conversation that also epiphanizes Dax about where Bashir and Cisco might be. Because she like bails out of that conversation and she's like, I think I, I think I know where they are now. Yeah. This all this all adds up. Like this is why there has been no other evidence of them anywhere. This is the moment where things get pretty speedy with the cross cutting between yeah. between scenes. Because from here we go back to Cisco and Bashir, where they get into a Star Trek fight around a burn barrel with uh, Biddle and his gang of thugs. Yeah, these are some uh, these are some bad boys that have been kind of harassing them from the moment that they entered the zone. How bad can you be if you're wearing a newsboy hat, though? Yeah. I, I had a hard time taking Biddle seriously. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of the a lot of his buddies get get beat up pretty bad. You know, like it's uh, it's it's just because of attrition that Cisco and Bashir start to lose. Like yeah. they do get a bunch of Kirk chops on these guys before. Uh, <laughs> Before the fight starts to go the other way. Biddle's like, what kind of fighting is this? It's amazing. <laughs> Show me how you put your hands together there again. You interlace all of the fingers and then you make a chopping axe motion. Somehow your fingers don't break on contact. <laughs> it's impossible. And yet, it's so effective. Uh, a good Samaritan sees Cisco and Bashir start to, you know, have the tide turned on them, and he intervenes, and uh, and Biddle sticks him through the belly with a knife, and uh, he and he and gang run off. Cisco and Bashir are trying to are trying to help this Samaritan who has has tried to help them, and uh, pretty soon, like the uh, spotlight of a helicopter is on them, and they and they need to to run off. Cisco has taken this dude's ID in the escape, and when uh, when they get a moment to breathe after evading the shotgun wielding cops, Cisco reveals that the man that was just killed was in fact Gabriel Bell, the man who is supposed to lead this riot and like make it the politically effective moment in history that it was going to be. Starts a pretty fun sequence that is a lot like the disappearing people from the picture in Back to the Future scene. Like, the yeah. timeline has been done polluted. And we know that because back on the Defiant, uh, they've lost communication with the Federation everywhere. Yeah. I felt a little nonplussed by this scene just because of the way they do it in First Contact where you get, like, just kind of the briefest glimpse of the Earth borgified. 
mm-hmm. as they go through the time butthole. I've wanted to know just a tiny bit about what non-Federationified Earth was. Like, was yeah. the species wiped out? Was there a non-warp-capable society still happening on the surface of the Earth? Did somebody come just, like, kill them all? Were there Klingons there? Like, tell me something. Just give me a little a little something to to chew on, you know? Totally agree, because the idea that there are Romulans outside the neighborhood is an insufficient description of right. of what changed here. Yeah. Morn, morn. Morn. Dear sweet morn. 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 You hear, buddy? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. So what's happened is that the timeline has changed, but it is, time has been preserved on board the Defiant, the Defiant representing all that's left of the Federation at this point. The theory is that because of the, like, Karanatan particles in the hull or some bubble that's formed around the ship or something, they're outside of what of everything else that has changed. Cisco and Bashir, in the aftermath of Gabriel Bell's death, have vowed to preserve the timeline at all costs. They, I mean, Cisco tells Bashir, We have to make sure those hostages survive. That's a very non-specific announcement, but um, mm-hmm. but then, you know, shit really starts to pop off. Like, they're, like, walking around telling people about this rally that they're trying to put together for a couple days from now, and they start to notice that a lot of people are running around pretty crazy, and they're like, hey, what's happening? And they're like, oh, there's, like, some kind of a Nachos Bell riot getting started. <laughs> you can smell it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it smells delicious. It might give you the shits. It's because most people don't eat a, a lot of fiber normally. Mm-hmm. And that constitutes yeah. the only fiber in their diet. Yeah, those uh, those refried beans actually have dietary fiber in them. <laughs> and then, like, this riot scene, like, they, there's some wide, like, aerials of this scene. There are a lot of extras here. I think maybe yeah. as many extras as we've ever seen in an episode of Star Trek on television, like... A, it's a big, big scene. H- like hundreds of people, like and fires and smoke and you know lights swinging through the smoke. It's a uh, it's pretty it's pretty epic in scope. And uh, yeah. Cisco and Bashir get there just in time to like yank the the shotgun away from one of the bad guys and save this guard from being beaten to a pulp. And they enter the uh, the DMV area that uh, that they were processed in. And there's Biddle and his uh, and his buddies uh, starting some shit. I think I am making a political statement. Cisco sees what sees what's happening on scene, and he's like, "Once Biddle shot the first guard, they didn't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> Takes out the second and the third because what's the difference? Don't leave any witnesses. <laughs> Biddle's got to get it on in this scene, Ben. Yeah, I want some pie and. Cisco introduces himself. He steps into frame and he goes, The name is Bell. Gabriel Bell. And then it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Into to be continued. Yeah. And then like uh, this message paid for by Gabriel Bell for Senate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think any campaign run by Gabriel Bell is going to be backed by Chris Brenner of Brenner Information Systems. Yeah, explicitly backed because uh, Brenner Information Systems can kind of like put its thumb on the scales in terms of what news articles people see because (laughs) they run all the algorithms. Uh, You know what? With a comment like that, I think that pivots us right into the did you like this episode portion of the show, Ben. 
Yeah, it sure does. Because when I think about whether or not I like Past Tense Part 1, I think it has mostly to do with the way that Star Trek routinely struggles with its own sense of condescension about Mm -hmm. modern times and in like near future times as depicted in this ep. I wish it was a little more adept at the sermon that it's trying to do. Because as it is, as we see it, it's too preachy for me. Hmm. And it takes me out of uh, out of an essential message that I think would be good if it were handled a little more subtly. What about you? I remember seeing this episode when it aired. I remember mm-hmm. it made a big impression on me, and I thought it was a great episode. But where it fell apart for me was it didn't seem like a realistic future like in 1995 i was watching this going like fun episode like it's a fucking laugh riot to imagine that in 30 years like we'll have you know formalized ghettos in major american cities and guys walking around in shotguns enforcing fascist political policies and i think that like it seemed a little bit ridiculous from that standpoint then and now seems like too preachy about our current situation uh, from right. our perspective in 2018, somehow it seemed implausible then and too on the nose now. Yeah, like how strange that it missed the target it intended, but hit a further, more difficult target. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do the same shot twice. Yeah. But that said, like I think that for the characters, I'm, I am compelled, and I'm, I found myself compelled again we've had an impacted ass full of star trek stories where the characters go back to a time period in san francisco specifically and right. i think this is best in breed for that well there's no guidance in this ep man it, come on <laughs> you're wrong there's, there's also no mark twain though so uh <laughs> did someone say my name <laughs> fuck off a <laughs> uh, good day to you sir yeah good day uh but what, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I I really liked watching this episode, and I was fascinated by that change, and yeah, and I think that it has something more interesting to say than I realized initially. I, I, it's on it's on the side of like for me. I definitely agree with you that it uh, isn't by any means a perfect episode. Well, why don't we see if we have any perfect priority one messages, Ben? We always do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we have a commercial priority one message. And it is from our friend Rob Schulte. What? Rob Schulte, as you may know, has uh, has a seasonal horror film podcast called Pumpkin Spice Podcast. I like that he's just taking Uxbridge Shimoda money and turning it right back around and putting it into Uxbridge Shimoda. Yeah. (laughs) He's a true believer. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Did you know that the producer-editor of two Uxbridge Shimoda shows has his own podcast? That's right. Rob's hosts Pumpkin Spice Podcast, a seasonal treat for fans of horror films. Alongside his buddies Graham Young of the Austin Film Society and CatCon personality Brittany High, Rob and Co. take on all aspects of the scares. Subscribe now and visit the Patreon page for bonus episodes. 
Whoa. Thanks, he says. <laughs> uh, Rob's is, uh, I mean, as of as of this recording, uh, we're still right in the thick of uh, Pumpkin Spice podcast season, and I know that Rob's has been working super hard on that show. Yeah, they do a, they do a different horror film series every year, and, uh, and this year it is the Child's Play series of films. Oh, man. Which are, uh, which are beloved and hilarious, occasionally even intentionally hilarious. <laughs> and uh, Rob is such a talented producer, it should come as no surprise that he's also a great host of this program. So definitely go and check it out and support the project by going to his Patreon page. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Robs, for that uh, promotional message. You know, there are some workplaces that uh, that say that they have... They have ownership of all of the projects that you create while you're employed by them. Yeah. Do it. Do, is that something that's in the expert Shimoda employment contract? I forget. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna have to <laughs> gonna have to look that up. We'll have to call the lawyers and uh, get it get to the bottom of this. We might be uh, entitled to get our beak wet on that Patreon money. <laughs> <laughs> Rob is like, you can't hide Fuck from you us guys. forever, Robs. <laughs> God, we would be so fucked if we didn't uh, work with Rob Schulte. Our greatest friend of the program, Rob Schulte. We we just like for no reason <laughs> just get hella greedy on him. <laughs> we would never do that. No. It's not our way. Our our way is leaving money on the table whenever possible. Yeah, yeah, we've done it. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. <laughs> Adam, uh, our next priority one message is of a personal nature, and it is from Nick, the sometimes teacher, and it is to Kevin, the Dowler. Don't know what that means, uh, but the message goes like this: Hello from China. Life here is amazing. I haven't found Timmy's girlfriend yet. Chinese is tough to learn because I don't have Mike to teach me. Please give Brady a teeny tiny high five from me. Don't work too hard. Tony's lying about the due date. Also, in case Jimmy forgets to tell you, the good side is up. This may be a Chinese state actor uh, (laughs) activating some element of their espionage apparatus for all we know. Uh, Or it could just be an errant sector of the worm-honeyed bosom, or one of the other numerous groups of Priority One message enthusiasts that just uh, write stuff in that seems like mainly designed to confuse us. I feel like this may be Nick's attempt at circumventing the commercial Priority One message apparatus by (laughs) trying to sell us on the idea of Chinese language lessons by his friend Mike. What's that about? We're not in the pocket of Big Mike. Absolutely not. <laughs> so many pockets to avoid, Ben. Yeah. It's a real uh, real minefield. Well, uh, if you have a message of activation or a message of promotion for our greater viewership, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. And that's a great value, Ben, because uh, they reach... Kind of an astonishing amount of people. Yeah. And uh, in so doing, they also help the ongoing production of this program. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm going to give my Shimoda to O'Brien for just, like, 
he never owns up to this <laughs> at all. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah, there was like, no like, God, I should have double checked the chronoton status of the ship before I swiped up. Like the thing that they tell you if you've ever been in a car accident, one of the things is that like never admit fault because you just don't know. Right. You don't know what happened. And that is what O'Brien's doing here. He's not admitting fault. He's instead like pivoting into CSI mode, a a mode without emotion. Right. And that is a weird choice. But I guess it's sort of like being a surgeon for an entire career. Like you're going to lose some people on the operating table. Yeah. And and like eventually you just become immune. That would have been great if he if if the second they disappeared, he dropped to his knees and just started pounding on the floor (laughs) of the transporter. It never gets any easier. Why? I, w- I personally would love that. <laughs> what about you, Ben? Who's your Shimoda? Uh, my Shimoda is Biddle, who is kind yeah. of the main antagonist that uh, Cisco and Bashir encounter a few times in the in mm-hmm. their time in the Sanctuary Zone, and uh, looks to have been set up to be the main antagonist for the next episode. The first encounter that they have with him. He uh, he calls Cisco new boy. That's his big insult for Cisco is new boy. Oof! <laughs> Come on, Biddle. If you're gonna be the toughest street tough out here in these streets, you're gonna have to do a lot better when you're busting somebody's chops than calling them new boy. I mean, it is a historically known slur for a white person to call a black person boy. Right. And I wonder if that was the way that they were able to use that word was by like putting a little bit of of new on it to to get it through without it being so cutting. What do you think about that? I mean, I thought about that a little bit. I also thought about how like anything that didn't include the word boy that was actually creative might have been a more interesting thing for this character to do because... Why not actually have him be like interesting? God, you could drop, you could use that line as a drop in a lot of our episodes. I think. <laughs> Mostly just about us. Yeah, um, yeah. This actor, we're going to see that wielded at us in the in the iTunes reviews pretty soon here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One uh, star. Why not make it interesting? <laughs> uh, don't do that as a joke. That's not funny. Um, Flag is inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, this actor, uh, Frank Military, is actually a lot more accomplished as a producer and writer for television. He's written on like NCIS and Jericho and The Unit, and uh, and like he's he's uh, he's acted a bunch, but he's also uh, written and produced a ton of television. Way to reject his surname and go into TV. <laughs> I think a lot of people had an idea of what line of work he'd get into. Yeah. I'm not going to be like you. <laughs> and you. And every single person in my family ever. I'm not going to become a sanitation worker. <laughs> That's where you were going, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the seed of comedy is the unexpected. Gold <laughs> 
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, the code is SCARVES. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Yeah, 
Ben, what is the very next episode we will be watching and how exactly will we be watching it? Well, I can tell you what we will be watching. Uh, that is the Past Tense Part 2, Cisco posing as Gabriel Bell in the 21st century, takes charge of the hostage situation in the processing center. And then, of course, that's just one streaming service's description. The other streaming service went with describing it as, Trapped in Earth's past, Cisco must assume a pivotal role in history to try and restore the future. Now, one of these caption writers is getting work in movies. (laughs) The other is not. <laughs> uh, ben, we are on square 23 in the famous game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. Yeah, if you go to gach.biz slash game, you can see our game piece. Ben, we are currently on square 22 of Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, just ahead, we've got a banger. Uh, the banger square moves the run about five spaces back, and in the greater distance is a naked now square, which is uh, the square in which we both record the show Roderick style from the bathtub. Yeah, if we roll a six, that could be that could be our next episode. Uh, we've rolled a three. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. It looks like we've leapt over. The banger. Oh man! And we are on square uh, square twenty five. That was a close one. <sighs> Just those, missed that banger. Those bangers are are dangerous, and they are they're pretty plentiful on this board. Yeah. Somehow only two bangers, but they feel like the most dangerous part of the board, even though there's like way more space buttholes. Wow. Well, safe and sound on a normal episode of the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, my favorite kind. That'll be a lot of fun, Adam. In the meantime, uh, the funnest thing that uh, happens to us every month is when the Friends of DeSoto, who, uh, who go out of their way to support the show at 5 10 20 bucks a month, uh, whatever you think it's worth to you, when you start at you know the $5 level, you get uh, a lot of bonus content from us. You get some... Uh, you get all the bonus content for all the shows on the network, which uh, means there's like hundreds of hours, I think, uh, of bonus content there there for you to consume. I would say that that is really worthwhile. Uh, but also, you know, just if you're looking to do the right thing, supporting the show is really worthwhile. You go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. You sign up at the amount that is comfortable to you. Uh, speaking for us both in these uncertain employment times... Uh, your support really means a lot, so thanks. Uh, it also means a lot uh, to us when folks go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a nice review of the show. We recently went up over the 2,000 review mark. Uh, I am happy to say that uh, almost all of those are five-star reviews, and uh, hey. they they really help us rise through the ranks over there. Helps the show's visibility when people search for things and uh, and you know, look at the charts and stuff. And uh, the more the more friends of DeSoto we can gather around us, the more sustainable this project is in the long term. So uh, we really, really appreciate uh, all of those nice reviews. And uh, we really appreciate you guys, the friends of DeSoto. 
Yeah, among them are uh, are some of our favorite friends of DeSoto, like Adam Ragusea. He's, of course, the guy who uh, chopped and screwed Dark Materia's great theme music into the interstitial music you hear for the DS9 series. Uh, he also is the creator of our live show music, which is so, so fun. Yeah. Really talented friend. Also, uh, the great Bill Tilly, who uh, makes trading cards about every episode of our show. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, J.J. Lendl? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's been doing kind of uh, in the, a, a lot in the style of those, uh, of those TNG trading cards that we used to open up. Kind of like retro movie poster style posters of individual episodes of Deep Space Nine. And he's been posting those on Twitter with the greatest gen hashtag. And uh, those are really, really fun to look at. And uh, he's doing them every week. He is so talented. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can find Adam on there at Cut for Time and me at Benjamin R. Don't be a dick, or you will get <laughs> muted. Uh, you can also talk to lots of friends of DeSoto on the Reddit sub, the Facebook group, something called Discord, which I don't know what it is. And uh, there's always the uh, Wikia, the greatest gen Wikia that uh, keeps track of you know all, all of your drunks, Shimoda, and... Uh, all of the different inside jokes that we do on the show they really get granular with like you know what a reference is to and where like when it first arose on the show and like how it's evolved and stuff it's it's really uh wild wild that that exists i'm glad that it does because occasionally i need a little help (laughs) in knowing what i'm talking about yeah Um, should i ever lose my mind that will be a resource that I can use. Yeah. And, and, and I think we both fully expect to lose our minds. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that brings this story to a natural and satisfying conclusion. <laughs> You're saying it's the last episode of our show? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> we haven't seen the episode yet. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.